Hi there. This is the A Lot To Say podcast, a conversation-based project focused on unconventional career paths and the projects that consume us. I'm your host, Gary Williams, or Gaz, as many call me. And A Lot To Say is part of the Alt Project's family of content, uh, obsessing about the overlap between creativity, technology, and culture. I'm fortunate to spend my days working alongside technologists, artists, researchers, and people who just generally give a damn about the world we live in. And I'm very lucky to be able to hear of some incredible career journeys over that time from some really inspiring people. I can't wait for you to hopefully discover some new and lesser known stories about the things people get wrapped up in and what led them to this point. This is A Lot To Say. Welcome back to A Lot To Say. This episode is with Karina Otomo and it was a fantastic chat. I was stoked she got involved. Karina fronts a heavy band, and I mean heavy, high tension, and she has some emerging musical projects um, that she'll dive into that are uh, in the process of releasing and playing shows once again. It was a fantastic chat where she dives into her, um, I guess, want for experimentation in her vocal process, and we cover a number of aspects such as cultural identity, connection to country, and much, much more. And she uh, elaborates on that with some other projects that she's been involved in of late. It was really awesome to have her involved, as I said. Um, Here's a lot to say with Karina Otomo. Karina, um, absolutely stoked to have you as a lot to say, as part of the A Lot to Say podcast, I should say. Welcome. How's everything going? Um, Everything's feels a little bit manic um today but otherwise it's it's going good it's going good I've I've um surprised myself with um you know staying productive and being able to um, experiment and make things so I'm yeah super grateful for that what's the what's the context for the um I guess what's happening today, <laughs> right as we're recording this. So I run a small business um, in Nam in Melbourne, and I, you know, with um, it's it's a retail retail wholesale business, and retail's about to reopen. It's been moved a week forward, so I have been frantically trying to finish renovations we you know we decided to you know it was the lockdown was a good time to do the renovations obviously when we were able to um yeah obviously there was that week window where you couldn't do anything um and you know it's been like quite a few months of keeping the team engaged and we're ahead with some things but now with the you know reopening moved back one week it's painting, um, you know, painting and cleaning and tweaking and all of those sorts of things, figuring out, um, you know, a safe strategy and um, statement so the whole team feels comfortable. I think, you know, as a business you have a duty of care to make the work environment as safe as possible for your team and also obviously... um, for the community. Um, so th- tell me, where, where is your shop front um, located? This sounds awesome. It's located on Gertrude Street and we moved around this time last year. Um, yeah. yeah, end of November. Nice. Uh, lovely part of the world, may I say. Um, but um, speaking of part of the world, where, where's home for you at the moment, your, your sort of um, home base? My home base is in uh, North Warrandyte and I've also been um, living at my sister's house while we're doing some renovations. So she lives um, up the road in a suburb called Research. Oh, yeah. yeah. Cool, cool. Oh, it's a beautiful part of town. I've got relatives who live there. Um, I did a little bit of, I mean, for the purpose of this chat, I've dug into, you know, I've, I've unearthed like a fair amount of, um, I guess, articles on you and um the multiple projects you've been involved in but tell me whether this is true one one um reason for moving you know into this sort of bush environment was that your husband hated the beach (laughs) and you would end up and you ended up somewhere and found a quite a connection to um I guess sort of river and bush life is this right that's that's correct um 
Also, there's something about the east of um, Nam that just feels completely different. And it's, you know, where where we are is on really beautiful Wurundjeri country right mm-hmm. near, you know, at the end of our street is the river. And there is something really significant being so close, you know, to, to the Yarra. Um, yeah. And we've lived there for you know, a a few years now, um, almost five years, I think. And you start to see, you start to appreciate, um, you know, the, the, the Wurundjeri seasons, which I've, you know, makes more sense when you have a look at that calendar. Um, you know, it's not the four seasons, it's the, you know, December is when the, um, this particular orchid, um, blooms it's called the ghouling orchid which is the um hyacinth I think it's called the pink hyacinth orchid anyway so and yeah you start to to notice the cycles especially like during lockdown and there's a certain comfort um you know to to be you know to be able to observe the seasons and yeah you'll feel closer to nature I guess I mean uh, me myself I don't see many um seasonal orchids here in um gritty grimy footscray but mm-hmm. um but i absolutely love uh you know what warren died area um yet yeah, stunning and beautiful and, and it's a good segue into some of the things we'll be chatting about today um in particular relevance connection to country so we're gonna dive into that and and plenty more and i i would say like quite a few people would um would obviously be well aware of um, one of your main projects, which is High Tension, the band. But uh, you have quite a body of work um, happening right as we speak, let alone renovating a store. And I wanted to ask you about one particular aspect, which was that I saw it written down. I think it was um, an article by Liminal around writing a manifesto on your next body of work in in recent times. What What was that sort of period of your life like and what sort of inspired you to envision what was upcoming in the near future? I think, I mean, I sort of, we were in, so I was in the middle of a tour with High Tension and, you know, um, I was sort of reflecting on a lot of the discussions happening around that time. Um, we... I think we had just played or were were playing Download Festival and there were, you know, from peers and um, other sort of, there was a lot of conversation about diversity and Mm -hmm. um, there was also, you know, I often am asked about my experience as, um, you know, a woman in metal, and all those sorts of questions, but a lot of the questions revolved around identity, but it wasn't that I was becoming frustrated. It was more that I was questioning why I have to constantly justify or um, talk about my place as, you know, my identity in metal when I really just wanted to focus on talking about music or often I don't even have the opportunity to um to talk about music itself or um you know the process and experimentation because a lot of the conversation is directed around identity and I understand that that's really um intrinsic to um being an artist or or creating music but from a personal sense I was thinking about what sonic diversity meant to me. I experienced this thing, it's I've called it sonic resentment, where okay. I, you know, where I I might just get sick of 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 things and you know a, a few things that I was sort of reflecting on was um particular genres, um, especially gen- a genre like metal that is actually so vast um that can become quite homogenous. And I was also, you know, simultaneously at that time, I just kind of um, had my first taste of um, 
improv completely improvised um, performances and experimentation. So yep. that was really opening up my mind and sort of giving me a fresh perspective on what sonic diversity in metal meant to me. And, um, yeah, I guess it's a combination of things that informed, um, you know, this sort of brief that I wrote to myself about what, what is it, what, what is the next thing that um, we want to make? And um, I guess I, I really enjoy the process of recording and a lot of that is um, research and also as well as experimentation, but also learning. And I'd realised that there were a lot of things that I really wanted to learn how to do in terms of voice, in terms of mm. um, exploring um, non-Western um, notation. A lot of my musical influence has been very much, you know, from guitar music and um, growing up, you know, being born and growing up in Indonesia, a lot of traditional culture um, was around me and is very innate, but I never, um, I guess I hadn't revisited um, the, you know, traditional yeah. music or traditional movement um, and language in my own work since, um, you know, since I've, first learned it in, um, you know, when I was 12 or whatever. So I think, yeah, I think it was just sort of coming, coming back and reflecting on, on, on those things. Again, it probably related with identity as well, but, um, I guess I, I was more, um, focusing on the actuality of, um, what the work could sound and feel like. Yeah. And is it something you've reflected back on uh, consistently or, or you sort of glance at just to sort of see, um, I mean, I guess if you put down a number of intentions, is it sort of, is it something you Absolutely. reflect back on to see how, how far, not that it's a checklist um, by any means, but, but whether it's some, um, whether you have evolved into what you uh, pictured at that point in time? Absolutely. I think with this brief or this manifesto, um, you, I, I, it's a beginning, you know, like it's a starting point and you often, I think it's good to have, even if this, even if what the starting point from, even from when, what you've written as a starting point and the outcome at the end of the process is completely different. Um, that's not, you know, you're setting your own parameters and, the whole idea of um, what I had written in the beginning was to dissolve the parameters around like being bound to a genre. So um, it's good to refer back to them because it, you know, at, at times it can be affirming. It's like, oh, great, I did address this particular note about, say, wanting to um, explore gamelan notation or to mm. experiment with, um, you know, um, I guess from lack of um, access to being mentored or um, learning how to, for example, sing in a traditional voice, um, there's, I've, you know, there's autodidactic methods that, you you know that's just as fulfilling and you can um still achieve something going through that process so yeah I guess it's it's not um yeah no rules really it's some 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 points but you have to remember that um where you begin is not you know you don't it's it's a it's a winding path I guess yeah and obviously um you're finding um you know, a high level of comfort in the experimental or this experimentation phase um, currently because it um, it permeates through, I guess, uh, what you're communicating in recent articles that I've read and even in other um, uh, forums that you've been involved in, including a literal symposium, which we'll, um, we'll touch upon really soon. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I think I think not only experimentation, I think collaboration um, is a is a really important aspect um, for for myself personally because I you know I think I think collaboration um, is such a significant part of growing as an artist because you often you know it's other artists that I respect their you know opinion their artistic vision yeah. their talent and there's so much that you can learn from them but as well in the collaboration process of you know um making discoveries together so yeah. i i think that you know i have tried to experiment on my own but i you know it's a it's a different type of process um and i just think it's much more efficient um, in terms of making progress, in terms of, um, you know, having little breakthroughs when you are collaborating with someone else. Well, um, you know, on this podcast, I've only got, you know, really one job and that's to, you know, segue from one topic to another and you've basically done it for me. So thank you very much. My next was was actually going to dive into some of your projects and honing in on um some individuals that you have been collaborating with um, quite extensively recently. Um, I'll just say before it, I'm, I'm appreciating, I guess, the the meta aspect of, um, you know, th- this podcast episode. I mean, obviously it's called A Lot to Say, um, but this one specifically will hone in on uh, voices expression. Um, and in your, in your uh, uh, example, like obviously large references to cultural significance, which I'm, I'm really excited about. And that's why I, um, I, I was really keen on getting you involved. So with that, um, you've got some current musical projects, uh, not including High Tension. And um, the collaborators, I, I think um, perhaps you'd like to hone in on them, but specifically with your, your current uh, groups that are, you know, at the stage of putting out releases and playing live shows again, um, which is amazing. Did you want to talk about the people involved within these projects and then we'll uh, dive into what the projects represent? Absolutely. Um, At the moment I'm preparing with um, my collaborators, Ben Ben Andrews, um, who is the guitarist in my disco and also Agents of Abhorrence. Yeah, the incredible grind band, and obviously my disco, um, are Melbourne icons, and um, with Rama Parwata, who I've actually um, collaborating on quite a few different projects with Rama, and um, I met Rama through um, Make It Up Club, actually, which he is a co-curator. And um, Rama and I performed an improvised set together with another um, artist whose name is Mick. Um, It was for a Boxing Day barbecue a couple of years ago that um, Professor Cat Hope, um, Mm -hmm. another collaborator collaborator of mine, um, you know, put put, she she would have these... um, Boxing Day barbecues and would just sort of curate a bunch of artists to do an improvised set um, at, at in her backyard. So um, that was, yeah, that was really, that was the first time I had a performance with Rama and it okay. was, um, it was lots of fun. And, but we sort of built a rapport really quickly when um, one evening at Make It Up Club, um, I spoke to him properly and was sort of. I was like, "Are you Indonesian?" Um, so yeah, we had a, we had a we had a we had a chat about that, and um, essentially, like for you know, I I had wanted to collaborate with another Indonesian artist, um, and we just had, I guess, you know, we just couldn't stop like you know yeah. t- talking about every everything um we had a lot of a lot in common in terms of the artists that we um really admired other indonesian artists um we went to um you know 
there, I was also, you know, going to Make It Up Club to perform and also to see some of the performances, which was, you know, very um, enriching as well um, a few years ago, um, so, you know, and was very fun to to attend, um, especially knowing that, you know, it's been a, the longest running improvise, you know, avant-garde imp- improvisation night yeah. in Melbourne. It's actually influenced a lot of, uh, it's, influ- it's influenced an improvised um, almost culture in places like Jogja, Jogjakarta in Indonesia from the artists that have performed there. So they've started their own little improvisation nights. So it's it's cool. quite it's quite um yeah, everything feels very natural and connected, you know, being um collaborating with Cat Hope and then um yeah. sort of, you know, she's really been so generous with um her energy and um teaching you know we've we've done a lot of improvised sets together and um so that's um and 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 being one of the soloists for her opera and seeing how she works as a composer and a performer as well so this was speech speechless was it yes this is for the opera sorry i'm going on like quite um, no, no, no. It's because everything good. was sort of like um, I feel like you know with simultaneous. Um, yeah. When you have simultaneous, no, no linear flow, right? Yeah, they all sort of inform one another, and um, and yeah, it feels like it sort of just glues everything together, I guess. Yeah. But, um, and Mike Deslands, who or uh, Mike, yeah, Mike Deslands, who. I have known since I was um, in my early 20s and um, we've collaborated on a few, even even before High Tension. Um, so Mike is the, um, you know, the songwriter and producer and guitarist of High Tension. He's incredibly, incredibly talented and, you know, in the past couple of years, even before he joined um, High Tension as a permanent member, um, he would help me with um, recording. Um, we, we lived like really close to one another, but I would record um, my vocals for, you know, miscellaneous projects. I had a Siberian composer who was writing a um like a grind samba project I know that sounds really wild it was um and he had multiple vocalists sing on this album um including some pretty big names in in metal and somehow he I think I think somebody that couldn't be part of the project um, recommended that he get in touch with me. And so I, you know, so Mike would help me sort of apply my vocals to, um, particular songs. And I've always really loved working with Mike. Um, so yeah, basically every sort of guest vocal thing I've, um, recorded has been, um, has been with Mike and yeah. And he's well-respected, um, and obviously has a a large breadth of projects he's been involved in himself. Um, so <laughs> it's 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 incredible. He, I think, what Mike has taught me is that you know it's um you know music is a practice, and you know as often a lot of artists talk about you know their practice or whatever, but. For Mike, it's literally his life, you know, like it, yeah. it, he, he, he does music every day. And so um, whether that's writing, producing, mixing, all of the elements, you know, he just, he's so skilled, but I feel like it's a, it's, he's developed this innateness for um, being able to see, you know, see things and apply things um when he's creating um yeah so 
and just having that that level of discipline as well because I I can I can sort of like you know if I'm not in the mood um I just sort of won't make myself do it but you know with Mike he's also he's very regimented so it's a nice sort of um contrast to my previous sort of method of 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 um being creative I guess yeah in the actually I'm curious on that in the recording phase so um I'd love to know about the dynamic between you two and we'll get to Rama in a second as well because I've got a um a particular article I read about him um that I'd love to reference but uh so the dynamic with Mike for example um you are frequent collaborators on most projects um but what's the dynamic in the recording phase you you as a performer um high high level of intensity and um and uh expression um or projection but um when it's in the recording phase is he uh i guess really pushing you um hard <laughs> i don't know how to express it absolutely is there a lot of um tension i mean even pardon the pun but no. is there a lot of tension within the studio or is it um is it just a um a competitive sort of uh, egging on to get to the the next level in in a lot of ways it's it's not competitive and it's not um it's not a kind of like a method that makes you feel like um there's any sort of pressure I guess but Mike knows me well and he he knows my voice well obviously over the years so he's in in a lot of ways he brings out the best in um not just for myself but in every artist's um, ability and yeah. I think he also understands that you know I'm I'm very much interested in doing a lot more um, with my voice so and he sees me he sees me get frustrated at myself <laughs> as well <laughs> when I have when I have big ideas and you know, um, and I feel that I can't execute them. So um, he did say something to me um, not long ago. Um, he was like, you're going to hate hearing this. And I was like, okay, <laughs> bring it on. Um, like, he was like, you, you can do, you can, you've got, you've got the ability, you've got the voice. You just, you know, some, you know, you just need that confidence um, and that's sort of more more with, um, you know, because over the past few years I've been focusing on um, basically um, disintegrating my voice, I guess, and, mm. and you know, the, the, the vocal style that I've been working on and training my voice to do is like pure abrasion. Yes. Yeah. So, mm. You know, like when when we um, when we're in the studio and we're not, I'm not, you know, screaming um, or growling. Um, I guess I feel out of my comfort zone. So it's it's quite funny because you know sometimes people are like, oh, how do you like? Um, how can you speak after you do that to your voice? But because it's the years of training and this is sort of like what I've been working on. Um, you know, every day basically, um, it it actually now feels really natural to me to sing in that way. That's my natural response. So when I try to um, sing in other ways, it's it's actually you know that's when I feel really naked, and yeah. I feel I feel really self conscious or all of those things. And um, so yeah, so Mike is there to assure me that. I can do it and he he's heard it and because he's a producer and he sings he sorry he he, he sings himself and he also hears other people people's voices that's very um yeah very assuring and um and I think it is back to just um practice and you know the more you do something the more you become you know the the more, the more you know what you're able to do and um sort of push through um not barriers so much but you can, it's it's possible to train the voice to do the things you want it to do so my frustration is is mainly when I'm like 
when I know that it's not my forte and I feel unprepared or something like that. Uh, certainly in what you voice in, um, I guess, uh, you know, in this type of environment or, um, you know, in the written word, um, you know, it has a higher level of, I guess, thought. You're, simply, you're not simply saying that you, um, oh, yeah, I, I scream loud. Um, and I picked up on a quote, um, from, but from an unlikely source, and we'll get to what that source is. Yeah. Um, so, and it does marry up with uh, what you've just expressed. So I'll read it out and then um, see if it uh, brings about any additional feelings. So my ongoing creative practice as an extreme metal and experimental vocalist explores the ways in which the voice can be trained and manipulated to reach utmost levels of abrasion and disintegration. The voice is a symbol and an instrument. It's a cool quote. <laughs> it's absolutely, you know, um, that reflection, I didn't, you know, that, that's a reflection um, after the fact, I guess. So when I first started, when I first felt compelled to try and sing in this particular vocal style, like delve into extreme vocals, I didn't really have a, you know, a reason for it other than that sounds sick, you know. Um, yeah. how, do, how do people do that? And I can assure you that my first attempts at, um, you know, distorting my voice was crap. It, it didn't sound, it didn't sound, you know, powerful or huge or all of the things that I, you know, that I felt when I um, felt that kind of vocal style through a PA. So, yeah. um you know, often I guess with, with you know, you reading back that quote, I didn't come to that revelation for many, many years because it was, um, it was difficult. It was, it, yeah, it's hard to articulate sometimes why you feel compelled to do something. Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> this is definitely not about me, but, um, and I, you know, I was in a metal band and singing and, and, you know, stupid in, com in comparison to, um, what you're reflecting on. But, um, I have to admit when, uh, when I reached some, you know, real, real deeper, <laughs> much more metal tones, um, it was deeply satisfying, but, uh, anyway, enough about that. <laughs> Rama. Oh, sorry, sorry. Go. No, no, no. I was just going to say in the like symbolism aspect, um, you know, obviously with, with that quote, without going into like too in-depth of, of what informed um, that revelation, I think, you know, and maybe I'm not just speaking on um, for me, but for I think for a lot of, extra, a, a lot of um, vocalists who sing in a distorted way, there's a lot of comfort in singing in that way because it is an ab an abstraction, um, yeah. abstraction. So, um, you know, for me specifically, it was the comfort of knowing that what I was saying was indece indecipherable. And um, in the in the context of say the high tension album and the previous albums, um, you know, from the very first sort of album that um, I had recorded, I was addressing some very sort of um, sensitive topics that um, I couldn't be explicit about. So in a lot of ways, um, and even at the time, I was like this is fine, I will be able to um, have these lyrics and have this song because I don't think anyone can understand anyway. So I'm not going to get in trouble for this. So, um, you know, and, and, and in retrospect, like it was sort of like it felt it was just like this is pretty practical kind of um, yep. you know, solution. But I also really, um, as I said before, like I also felt really compelled to be able to sing in that way. So it, it, there was, you know, there were multiple um, uses, um, benefits to discovering extreme vocals. Um, so I, I, I was just like that. I mean, that's why I've sort of just latched onto it. It's like, this is, this is for me. 
this is going to be a thing that I'm going to um, dedicate a lot of time and commitment to. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little while back when you were talking about finding collaborators to, um, you know, help enable this vision and you mentioned um, around Rama, like I read um, also in the same publication, uh, Liminal, which is fantastic, by the way, a number of sort of um, long form reads, five questions and um, uh, really allows you know, expression to come out about, you know, the intention behind various projects. But uh, he had some very similar sort of sentiments conveyed in in that around uh, what he was seeking um, musically. And it was uh, really cool. I think he had some quotes also that, you know, in his jazz environment, he's the metal, metal dude and in the yeah. metal crowd, he's the jazz dude. But um, it's really great to hear that you find this, like, you know, like-minded collaborator and Mike's lumped into this but you know Rama in particular um with that sort of cultural connection as well um and then seeing the the gestation of that morph into these upcoming um projects which are being launched out basically as we speak yeah absolutely um it's um it's it's always like I think I think one of the um I I think the great thing about collaborating with Rama is that he is such a huge music fan and he's a curious music fan. He has a really vast knowledge of um, so many different genres and often it can be, you know, um, when we're rehearsing, we can, it's, it's going into like a YouTube hole or like he's, he's always like, oh, I've got this other thing to show you or um, so, but at the same time we, I, you know, we work, together really well because he's never um you know I think it's important to work with collaborators that don't you know that that don't feel a level of you know superiority or dare I say not not that I have collaborated with people like that but I know that sometimes what can hinder a collaboration from working in from working well is if you feel that there's a bit of a hierarchy and, sure. you know, whose, whose ideas should be, should be getting over the line or, you know, um, but I feel like um, one of the things that I enjoy most about our collaboration is the um, exchange. Um, I'm, you know, he's very patient in, in teaching me methods um, and, you know, I feel like, all my ideas are heard and they're humoured and we, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a two way sort of situation there where, mm. um, and, and the same with Mike, like the three of us um, work really well together because we, we're both, I mean, the, the three of us are so um, excited about ex- experimentation. Um, so, and we, you know, we do have very different tastes for particular things as well, which works, which works well. So, um, yeah. so there's, you know, I feel like you can see all the, all the directions, all the possibilities. Um, so yeah. Well, they're also uh, badass musicians. So, uh... <laughs> sorry. Let's oh, also yes. badass musicians. Yeah, sometimes that's uh, just a bonus. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's 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 you know what? It's exciting when you hear um, a riff for the first time, or you know, you're like when you're in that environment, and um, you know, you feel like you. I feel like you, you're experiencing things in real time or how, you know, like I do feel there is a physiological element when you're, you know, when you hear, when you hear things, when you like feel like resonance going through your body. Um, so like, it's it's yeah it's like even if it's sort of like you're just mucking around or you know trying to find idea you know trying to make ideas work the the actual um you know physiological element at least for me personally is um feels really beneficial yeah oh, i can i can appreciate that it's awesome. i sound like such a nerd <laughs> not at all 
No, you should be, you should nerd out on um the stuff you're passionate about, but it's uh, awesome to hear you express it. It's it's great. We're, we're gonna take a we're gonna take a um a veer, um, not so much for yourself, but maybe for the um audience. And that quote that I um put in before was uh not from a sort of a musical publication, but but more from a um a recent thing that you've been involved in. I, ca- I call it a thing because I'd rather you um explain it. But um, but basically involved in a symposium of sorts, and I'd love to um, I'd love to touch upon this in in terms of this being a relatively recent um part of your life and honing in on um elements of your voice um and also cultural identity. Did you want to tell us about um when this was and and what your role in it was? So the um the symposium um is called. 1965 Setiapari. Um, sorry, it, 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 it's, it's, it was, it's founded by a collective of um, Indonesian artists, writers, you know, poets and um, academics. Um, so 1965 Setiapari means um, 1965 every day their um their right. their website or their blog or podcast is called living 1965 so the idea of um this collective is to maintain the memory um the stories and the narratives around the 1965 anti-communist purge and the genocide that happened between 1965 to 1966 in Indonesia. And it's a highly suppressed piece of history. There's still a lot of stigma around, um, you know, um, families and uh, so, you know, survivors um, and any affiliation with the Indonesian Communist Party. So it's it's a pretty um, it's a complex um, part of Indonesian history, but it's obviously it's also shaped a lot, um, you know, present day Indonesia. And um, it's also um, connected to the, um, you know, the new order era when Suharto was in, was in power for, you know, 36 years or um, however long it was. Um, and so it's a, it's a deeply, um, you know, like th- th- this collective is, is incredible because they, you know, they, um, they are collecting um, these stories, they're documenting these stories, they, um, there's artists that are, that are, um, you know, a lot of their practice is about as is is to um, shine a light on um, aspects of 1965. Um, there was uh, an artist that made a visual um, a, a map of the various mass graves around Java, for example. So you know, and um, I guess. It's very, very important that these stories are told um, by Indonesians as well, um, because you know, you know, they, 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 um, the vict- victims' families um, have been silenced for the past, um, you know, fifty-six years. Um, so, and there's still, there's still some, you know, it's, it's still a sensitive, um, issue and there's still present day stigma, um, associated with the Indonesian Communist Party and, and what happened between 1965 and 1966. So, um, so that, that symposium, um, I actually, um, was introduced to, um, one of the, um, members of the 1960 uh, living 1965 collective a couple of years ago and um one of them happened to be living in melbourne and um they like meeting meeting members of the collective really inspired me to write the last um 
you know, the last high tension album called Purge was mm-hmm. very much informed and referenced a lot of, um, you know, the the um, tragedy of 1965. Um, and one of the songs, actually, there, there's a quote that really resonated with me. So they, you know, the practice of sharing these stories um, and, and keeping these memories alive was they described it as dari hantu ke hantu, which means from ghost to ghost. Um, and we, that's a high tension song um, that, um, yeah, was highly inspired by that. So I think that, um, yeah, there, there was like a, I guess, um, the symposiums happen every year and it was very sobering um, and just really kind of, uh, it's hard to articulate hearing um, hearing from um, he- hearing the stories about 1965, whether they're from the people who you know remember and were alive during that 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 era, um, whether they were you know still teenagers or um, and I guess you know a lot of these stories have disappeared. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very complex, vast, um, topic, I guess, to, to, to address. And, um, the symposium was particularly significant for me because I, you know, um, it was the first time hearing from a lot of these artists and writers and about their work and, um, about 1965 and um you know it was also very emotional to to um to hear how for a lot of artists it has influenced their practice as well and uh i'd I'd love to know yourself personally i mean participate i'm assuming obviously uh, that it was all virtual due to circumstance but um how did you feel in in the moment? As in, were you having um, not so much? Was it was it um, too surreal, or did you find yourself? Um, oh, um, how to express it? Like you're, you're in quite an uh, not an everyday occurrence. You're not speaking at um, symposiums such as this very regularly. This is sort of uh, accommodated in your appearance with a with a formative role in it. Were you conscious of sort of how you felt in the moment? I think, um, oh, yes, obviously I was very, um, you know, I, it was very funny. I um, shared with my father who is living in um, Java at the moment that I'd been invited to speak at the symposium and his reaction was like, why have you been invited? Like, um, because... So my so a family friend of ours who's one of the members of the fab, uh, of the collective. His name is Mikhail Johani. He's a poet, um, incredible writer. Um, so you know, I told my father that you know Mikhail is a part of it, and um, and my father was like, "So why did you get invited? Because it makes sense, and it's obvious that Mikhail got invited because he's an activist, kind of thing." <laughs> and um, yeah. So I obviously, yeah, like to put it to a T, um, that's, um, yeah, I definitely felt that and my father just articulated it. Um, so, you know, and I had to say to my dad, I was like, look, um, you know, I did, I did write an entire album, you know, this, is, this has been a constant reference point, like literally four albums references 1965. It's just the most recent one that's, um, you know, a, a bit more obvious, I guess. Yeah. So, um, yeah, explaining that to, to, to my father and, but I, you know, um, I spoke for about, um, 15 to 20 minutes and I decide, you know, I made a conscious approach to speak about it from a personal 
um, sense because I didn't want to speak on behalf of of, of anybody and yeah um, and you know uh, I. I felt a lot of comfort being knowing that um, you know the 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 people um, that I was speaking to, um, you know, we had a you know a strong connection um, in terms of um, 1965, and mm. it was particularly at the end of the um, at the end of the symposium um, the one of the founders and um, really incredible artists called Tintin Woolia um, executed this exercise um, about um, sort of like continuing, um, it was like a memory game, but it was very sort of like, it felt very, you know, casual and, um, you know, almost fictional at the beginning but where it got to and she she had mem- every member of the um the attendees w- was a part of it but um she started with um the the dialita choir so this choir of um you know um 1965 um survivors and they would sing together to you know um as, as a healing sort of um, process. But hearing some of the firsthand memories articulated, you know, there wasn't a drop, you know, everyone was very um, emotional, I guess, hearing. It's, it's, it's just sort of, it's very surreal what has happened and um, I guess it's important to, it's important to understand. It's it's important to hear these stories. It's important to um, humanize these individual. You know, these are individual stories. And I think when you just see a um, a number of like you know up to six hundred thousand to a million people were killed two million people at a time one and a half to two million people were incarcerated at the one time of Mm. like this mass incarceration it's it it dehumanizes the the event so being able to hear these stories and these memories firsthand um is incredibly important because it reminds you that you know these are real stories It, it humanizes the the um the injustice and the tragedy of this um, dark piece of Indonesia's history. Mm. Well, th- thank you for sharing it. I mean, it's uh, we had a little conversation when I sort of approached you and uh, you said, oh, w-, and this is on my radar at the moment. So it allowed me to uh, to dive into it and, and look a bit, you know, a bit into what they were curating as part of this experience. And, yeah, it's really Really wonderful to see, but I really appreciate you expressing it. Um, just so uh, people who are listening um, get a sense of what your involvement in it was. Your uh, your part was uh, titled "Intergenerational Silencing: Breaking the Cycle of Trauma and Fear Through Voice," and um, it's accessible online. You can you can find the the PDF, etc., and I'll include it in the show notes. But yeah, it's great to see you. Um, see you in there amongst all these really interesting diverse range of people as part of this collective yeah it was it, yeah as my as my father said he's like why did you get invited um but it was, so, it, was yeah. interesting, it was interesting because um you know we had a lot of good feedback with the symposium because of that the the diversity of the um the speakers and i guess um depending on which area um, you know, academics and historians um, speak very differently to artists, um, to visual artists, to fine artists, and fine artists also speak very differently to, you know, people in metal bands. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so you know, I think I think that there's, um, you know, there, there there is value in that in in diverse voices. So yeah. Well, 
look, thank you so much. And I think, you know, it's been a rangy chat and, um, you know, gone through a number of topics. But um, as you talked about, even when collaborating on your projects, uh, there is no sort of linear path. There's lots of uh, crossing over. So I um, I appreciate, appreciate the zigzagging nature of the chat and hope you enjoyed it. I want to... I'd love to. I'd love to leave with a parting thought. I, I'd love to know um, maybe some upcoming milestones for you with uh, your your musical projects and other. Um, so some upcoming important dates in your calendar, um, and then um, you know what? Let's take us home with um, a mention of uh, beekeeping, which was um, <laughs> threw me a little bit when you sort of came back um, based on the brief. Um, I'd love to know what that is, and then we'll uh, we'll send it home. Absolutely, I. <laughs> Um, so I, well, let me start again. At the beginning of 2020, um, you know, with, with, with the bushfires and sort of the, um, feeling the impacts of climate change, I made myself another list actually. And, um, it was about things that I could um, change, um, I could make, you know, I, just, just to feel a sense of, like, control, I guess, of, of the positive things I could change to, um, you know, lessen the impact of climate change. And a lot of those things were to do with my business and little things like um, changing my super account to one that didn't invest in fossil fuels and, um all sorts of those things. Um, one of the things that was on there was to, um, you know, volunteer and um, I volunteered for this uh, with this organisation called The Tree Project. Didn't really know what I was kind of getting myself into, but I had seven boxes of dirt and planted like 360 seedlings. Right. So that was a very kind of, um, you know, um, that was sort of my first serious kind of volunteering um, activity and I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of work but it was very satisfying and, um, you know, learning a lot as well about the Indigenous plants um, that I was growing. And um, one of the um, one of the uh, um, events that happened during the pandemic was moving out of moving the business out of the city and my um, landlord what uh, so we moved I moved into an, a new office in Fitzroy and my landlord is actually um, a beekeeper and I had um, I had had conversations with him in the past and um, he has this incredible method of bee, beekeeping it's called bee friendly beekeeping um, and he's part of the, so he's founded the Honeyfingers Collective. So yep. foundationless beekeeping. And um, so I hosted my first, I, you know, sort of said, do you need, um, you need a new host for, you know, one of your hives because we live in North Warrandyte. There's 1,100 square metres there. And that was a very interesting um experience to have to have bees and I would um you know sort of observe um how to beekeep um and I eventually you know um did some beekeeping on my own and you know you just learn so much um through through beekeeping and through knowing the like what the bees do um essentially Um, last year I had a, um, last year was a, a a particularly, um, actually, man, it was this year. So the beginning of this year was, 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 was very, um, was very difficult. I was, I was sort of living between, um, you know, um, Canberra and Melbourne because my, um, my mum was very sick and, um, you know, she, my mum passed away in, in May and around the same time I had some bees, one of the, one of the hives um, absconded and it was hard not to take that personally because, you know, I sort of um, 
thought, you know, I hadn't checked on them enough and so forth, but I'd sort of discussed it um, with Nick and said, I think, you know, because there, there hasn't been enough food because of the, um, the nature of like the environment around Warrandite and those bees were caught from a swarm in Footscray, I think the ones that have crumbled. So, so that was, um, you know, I, I sort of thought about like, okay, I need to do more sort of purposeful planting. So there's more food for them because, um, you know, we do get a lot of, um, flowers, um, but they, you know, they only last a couple of weeks and cause it's, you know, sort of, um, less sort of urban gardening, I guess. There's not like a constant supply of food. Um, anyway, so this, a few weeks ago, um, was it early October or late September, um, a swarm um, kind of just showed up in front of my sister's house in research. And that was the first swarm of the season that um, I ca- called Nick straight away and we caught this swarm and we moved this swarm to my house, which is about um, three kilometres away from my sister's house. So it's still in the same area. Um, it's in the Nilambic Shire. And when we went to check on um, on those bees, they were um, they were thriving. Um, awesome. So different to the to the swarm that was caught in the west. So um, Nick has told me about um, this thing called um, adapt locally adapted genetics which I felt, um, you know, made a lot of sense because these, obviously these bees, because they're from the area, they know their food sources. They, you know, they just sort of like, they're Warrandite bees, you know, they're, they're Nilumbic bees. Um, and that's why they're, they're doing well. And it also makes me think of, I guess, like things like ancestral memory and, um, you know, those those memory landscapes that I was sort of talking about with, um, yep. you know, with the symposium. So it's really super interesting to see the difference between this colony, um, this, this, this honeybee colony, this swarm that was caught from the area compared to, yeah, the Footscray one that just really struggled. I apologise on behalf of my local um, my local bees. <laughs> <laughs> well, what an awesome story! I, I I thought it might be as simple as I set up a beehive in the backyard, but yeah, what about um? No, well, you know, I'm really glad is- I I'm really glad I asked. No, thank you. I I didn't look. I didn't. Sometimes you don't. As you know, like everything, it's like you don't know why you want to. You know, you feel compelled to do something, but you just go do it. And then um, it's a wonderful thing when it teaches you something really, you know, really significant and profound. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm excited about um, learning, learning more and just even just like sitting in the, in the, in the front, you know, in the front part of the house and just, you can just watch them all day. It's, it's incredible. It's in, it, it's, it, um, yeah, I could, I could go on. There's some very interesting lectures, um, about bees. And I think we can, we have so much to learn from nature. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, um, look, I'm highly appreciative. This has been, um, a great chat. So, you know, thank you very much. And, uh, can't remember whether we mentioned it before, but it is definitely a uh, day in Melbourne, which is a batten down the hatches type uh, vibe. So it's um, a bit wet and wild oh outside. God, yeah. So and it nearly, chat nearly didn't happen. But um, oh, let's round it out by I would love to know what some, um, some main dates are upcoming in terms of releases and live shows. On the 10th of November, we have the Renoir album so that's my the project with Mike Deslons and um, Rama Parwata 
Um, and that comes out on 10th of November. Um, the album's called Duanaga. On the 13th of November um, is uh, Kilat, a black metal project with Rama and Ben Andrews from my disco and Agents of Abhorrence. That's our first show at the corner with Iswa, this really incredible doom band from Melbourne, and um, Diploid, another really great grind noise um, doom band. Um, and they've also released a new album, so that's going to be at the corner. This show's already sold out, but, um, you know, it was when um, we announced it when it was the very kind of strict capacity, which I actually feel much more comfortable about too. Um, yeah. it, it's going to be a very safe environment. Um, what else? Um, hopefully I'll have a, um, we'll have a release for Killat as well, a little album or something like that, a cassette. <laughs> um, but, and, and hopefully as part of the flash forward project, uh, so Renuart, um, will have a performance sometime in 2022. Awesome. Yeah. Perhaps awesome. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I'll be at that show and I'm um, highly anticipating it. And also I'll, I'll have this podcast out before it. So um, <laughs> it'll be in yeah. the future if for a few days um, for people to listen to the interview and then um, uh, either attend if it's um, if they have a ticket or, or obviously uh, taking the new releases. But Karina, I want to thank you once again for being part of the chat today. I really appreciate it. And um just really loved your storytelling. So I appreciate you um, opening up so much about all these various projects and, and important things you've been involved in uh, of late. Thank you so much for having me, Gary. I really appreciate it as well. Oh, pleasure. Take care. Thank you. Have a great day. So that was my chat with Karina. Um, I loved it. I hope you enjoyed it. It was really really awesome to dive into her creative process and also talk about uh, the way she utilizes her her voice in vocal delivery um, as a form of expression and, um, and particularly the elements she referenced in terms of abrasion, disintegration and whatnot. Uh, you can find Karina on Instagram at Karina Otomo and also links to her other projects at Rinawat, at Kalat, at High Tension Band. Thanks, Karina, and thanks all for listening. Catch you on the next one.